Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Max Maxwell Show. Now, it's been a while since I've done a podcast, obviously because me and my wife have moved. So this is the first episode of the show that I'm filming in Dubai. The first absolute one. And so I had to bring somebody that you guys may know. He's from, well, he's from here, but lives in America, but is slowly making his way back to Dubai. And you may have heard of him. And most of the time when I bring people on, we're talking about only like mainly residential real estate. Today we're gonna to do something different and we're gonna talk about commercial space and how he has made commercial space look so sexy. So welcome to the Max Maxwell Show, Hamza, how you doing bro? Hey man, thanks for having me. Great to be here and welcome to Dubai, I guess. Yeah, yeah, both of us, right? Both well, of us. Welcome yeah, back. Exactly. It's been 10 years since you've been here. It's been 10 years since I left, yeah. But you grew you grew up? I grew up here, man. I saw all of this become uh, whatever you guys watch on TV and uh, you know, Played. I took you, you know, we went on a drive. Yeah. I took you to my old house where I grew up, you know, what we did. Yeah. I showed you the traditional homes and what those looked like you back in the day. Had some good food. Yeah, had some great food, <laughs> man, with our hands and everything, yeah. right? And so now we're back and we're looking to do big things. So before we talk about like your, you, you and the, what you're doing in the United States, let's kind of go back a little bit and talk about maybe like your upbringing here and then how you even got into real estate to begin with. Yeah, so upbringing here, very traditional, you know, my mom and dad, my dad had a business, uh, my mom was a housewife, you know, very traditional up upbringing, uh, went to school, it was a segregated school, so boys, boys and girls, mm -hmm. uh, first time I got to see people like of the other sex was in university, mm -hmm. so that's where I met my wife, by the way, okay. and uh, so went to university, studied marketing, Basically, I think my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, did all of the studying for both of us, <laughs> helped me out because I was working, right? And right around that time was when Dubai opened up real estate for expatriates. So mm. before that, you had to be an Emirati to buy real estate here. Yeah. It wasn't all real estate. Period. Period. You could not buy a residence if you were from the outside, right? But you know what? That's actually pretty common as you move outside of like America and other places. Like a lot of countries that are developing and, and still developing they actually reserve to where it's all it's all you got to be resident you got to be not resident you got to be a local. local you have to be from there correct and that's that's kind of smart in a ways but go ahead sorry correct so basically they opened for expatriates and the coolest thing was i studied in the american university in dubai and the first project that ever opened for expats was the greens that's what it was called greens. and and it was right opposite university super convenient for students and of course, all, a lot of these students were coming in from the outside. Mm -hmm. So other parts of the Middle East, we were one of the first American universities in a big way. You know, Dubai has always had this vision of being the first and the biggest and the best. So they marketed that school so well that it attracted everybody who didn't want to go to the US basically for yeah. an education, right? And so all of these parents were coming in they wanted to invest. They wanted their kids to stay somewhere close to university that wasn't on campus, so they had certain freedoms. And it was my time to strike, I guess. And so that's kind of when I realized that, hey, are you looking for a place? Are you looking, you know, I would talk to other students yeah. and everybody was looking for a place to stay. And so I kind of became the residential real estate broker <laughs> in, in the university. And at that time we didn't have like, you didn't have to be a real estate agent or there was no licensing. Yeah. Or there was no, you buy direct from the developer and that's it. And so I would, I would take all of these people, you know, over there to buy. And then in return, I would get paid a fee. Oh, wow. And okay. So, so you was, were in college hustling. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was hustling, man, for sure. And so, so tell me, so they opened up this university. I mean, they opened up this housing or basically, you know, houses that you can buy. So the parents of these people that are in the university are, are now saying, okay, this makes perfect sense. 
let me buy a piece of property here. What, what did you study in school though? I studied marketing, but Mark- it was old school, like newspaper, you know, e- not even email. I don't even think email was a thing back then. <laughs> I'm sure it was, but it wasn't like that yeah. cool. So you studied marketing and you became like the, the student body broker. Basically. You started brokering, telling students, that, hey, look, it's now possible yeah. to be able to tell your parents. Right. And so my sale was, my sale, my close to all these parents was, hey, look, you're going to buy this piece of real estate. It's going to go up in value. Your kid's going to be here for four years. By the time you sell it, you're going to make money. Guess what? No rent. And you're probably going to end up making a little bit of money, maybe even cover your kids, you know, a portion of your children's yeah. education. And so it was a no brainer to them. I mean, they're throwing all this money in anyways. Might as well make a profit on something. So this this had to be somewhere a year around what, like 2002, 2004, somewhere around 2004. there? 2004. So what was Dubai like back then, though? So that's 20 years ago almost. Yeah. So I remember uh, you would drive out to the American University in Dubai and there was nothing to get to the university. So it was like empty land. And then you'd finally be at the university. Now, obviously, it's in a very central location right yeah. now. But back then, there was literally nothing. Hard Rock Cafe, huge guitar in the middle of the desert. And you can see pictures of this. Like if you go back and you see Hard Rock mm-hmm. Cafe Dubai 20 years ago, literally in the middle of the desert, and there's Hard Rock Cafe. And the university was right there. So you meet your wife in university. So the way I met my wife is very interesting. So I was hustling. I wasn't doing well. I was not a good student by any means. And uh, she actually kind of approached me and she was like, hey, why don't I tutor you? for, I think it was English at the time or math, I can't really remember. And uh, so she tutored me for a while. And then I was like, hey, you know what? Look, I'm hustling over there. Why don't you handle these projects? And my wife is a control freak. Like if we get into a project together and it's not an A plus project because of me, she's just gonna take over and do the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. she's that one person in the group that'll do the entire group's work just so that we all get the grade. Yeah, because yeah. so she doesn't wanna go down with the B. She exactly, be. <laughs> exactly. So she's, you know, we would always, I would always partner up with her in the group. And she would always do all my assignments and all my projects, and I would be out there hustling Got and it. selling real estate. So you graduate what year? I'm I graduated in 2008. Okay. And so from there, did you go to America right away? Well, so this is the story, right? Um, I was hustling, making good money. 05, 06, 07 was the peak. Now, when I graduated, guess what? No jobs. That was worldwide. Yeah, that no, but here, because... Back then, the immigration law was such that if you don't have a job, you got to leave. Mm-hmm. So the only way to actually stay in the country is you need to have a job. You need to have this visa, right? This work visa True. once you graduate. Now, uh, there were a lot of people who were just leaving the country. You know, this is where you heard all of those abandoned cars and mansions mm-hmm. and buildings and whatnot. That was real. Like, I lived that. You know, I saw all of that happen. It was a very real life, real experience. Now, the cool thing is, is that I was at that time self-sufficient because I already understood money I understood how people were making money. I had Mm. clients, right? And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to self-sponsor myself and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. It was a very difficult time. Like we weren't making much money, I'll be honest. Uh, But it was something that got me by and kept me here, which was more important to me at the time. So let me kind of break down. So when you you come to Dubai, you can't just come here and decide and get a residence for no reason. Your your residence visa has to be tied to either a job or now you can be a freelancer, which is fairly Now a there's thing. a lot of things. Yeah, there's a free thing. But you can't just be here without being able to 
Sustain support yourself. yourself. Correct. Right? Because they don't want that. That's They're trying to build the, the city of the future so they don't want people that need to be dependent on. So you had to basically create a company or whatever and sponsor yourself so you can stay. And that was the most important thing to you. Correct. So you graduate, no job, but you got some you got some hustle money from, from, from moving around and doing properties. And now you kind of establish yourself. When did that idea come to you? And what made you even think about going to America? Because you're at the American University for people who didn't want to go to America to go to the university. Right. So what ended up happening is, so I, I worked, I saw the real estate market boom, and then I saw the bust here mm -hmm. in Dubai, right? And then at the bottom, right at the bottom, I was like, look, I don't think this thing is going to boom again. I think we're done. Mm -hmm. And I need better opportunity because I wasn't making money, man. I was making like ends meet. I was barely able to survive. Never held a job because not my own fault. Just there were no jobs available nothing, when I graduated. Even in America though. Right? Yeah, exactly. All around the world. Now, I was like, I don't think this is happening. I don't know what the future looks like. So I just don't know. So went, spoke to my parents, told them, hey, look, I'm going to leave because I think, there, I think there's opportunity there. First book I ever read cover to cover was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Same here. First cover to cover. I never read a book Me cover neither. to cover before that book. That was such a simple read, small book, big text, simple English, you know, read the book cover to cover, learned about leverage. Guess what? All transaction in Dubai were all cash. The banking system did not have a leverage, uh, you know, way of doing business. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't there. It didn't exist. Read Kiyosaki's book, learn all about leverage. You get excited. I'm like, what? I can like buy four times, you know, my money. I can do all this. I can, I have, I can basically become a millionaire, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm like, okay, I need to use this leverage. And I remember I would talk to my friends. I was like, bro, you need to read this book. You know, you need to read this. Everybody I would talk to, you need to read this book. Nobody would read the book. Now, I would explain it to my friends at the time that, hey, man, there's this thing. It's called leverage. It's in America. We need to go and check it out. We need to at least learn about it. They just educate ourselves on what this is and how we can use it to make money. And everybody would be like, ah, it's a waste of time, you know. And by then, you know, we were at the bottom and things were moving. They weren't moving good, but everybody was in survival mode, you know? Yeah. So nobody's really thinking of growth at this point. Everybody's trying to figure out how they're going to survive. Nobody knew what was next. Yeah. We just didn't know what was about to happen. Uh, so... At that time, at that point in time, I made a decision. Okay, I'm gonna head to America. Now, before I had, because I left here in 2013 to go to the U.S. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, in the crisis, what I did is I actually opened up a garage, a performance shop where I would import parts from the U.S. Because I was looking for where people are spending money in the recession. Yeah, it wasn't real estate. It wasn't business. Uh, there was a small niche group of people that were spending money in high-end cars and accessories and stuff like that. So They I got, still had money yeah, because they weren't leveraged during the right, crash. Right. And so <laughs> these guys had money. And, you know, back then there wasn't really much to do like there is now. Yeah, so yeah. people had this money. They had to spend it somewhere. And that's why we have such a big car culture. It comes from, you know, my generation and the generation right before mine. Well, you get to do some cool stuff out here, like in the desert too. Right, So exactly. it's like, it's, it's kind of like the thing you have to do. You grow up, you're a man, let's go get, get your desert car at least. And, and that's exactly it, right? And so ended up opening that shop, sold the shop, and that's when I moved to Dubai, uh, to the US. So you had a little money. Well, it was, yeah, it was, I, I, re, I thought it was a lot of money when I moved. Uh, I moved to the U.S., realized it was very little money. I, I don't think I could do anything. So I had to move around and figure myself, navigate myself to the right areas mm -hmm. where I could invest ultimately. And so were you married at this time when you moved? I was. So okay. married, two kids. Okay. so you, I got married at 23. So you had the family. So did you move the entire family? No. 
Okay. My wife and kids stayed here for a year. And then I was able you to- You figured things out. But how hard is it? And I think people from America kind of take it to granted, for granted. Like, how hard is it to not be from America and then be able to move to America with so, the visa process, immigration process? Very difficult. Yeah. Very, very difficult. Um, it took me nine years to complete a process there, which could take me two days to complete here. It took me, yeah, it took me 48 right? hours. It took so, you 48 right? hours. It took me nine years to finish that. I know people that are still in America, still have not processed immigration 29 years later. Mm. 29 years later, right? I mean, and they're if, contributing to society, paying taxes, the whole thing. They're if these people get rejected for whatever reason, their kids don't know any other country. Okay. Where would they go? Yeah. How would they live? So, so migrating is, is difficult. Very so difficult. So that's why you took that Very one year. Very rigorous interviews, documentation. You have to be on top of your stuff. You have to make sure every document and every you know detail is tracked they also want to know what your history is mm -hmm. you know so i went to the us with $400,000 that's what i had mm -hmm. okay where did it come from uh, we want to see where did you travel over the past 10 years we want to see exactly where each dirham you earned <laughs> came from and you know how hard it is to do that somebody who's 27 years old is yeah. just hustling and you know just trying to put money together from anywhere it's impossible Right, and then they come back and they say, "Well, this hundred thousand dirhams, right? We couldn't like what you said makes sense, but we couldn't justify. So like we don't know where this money is coming from, and and so there's a lot of things that that process teaches you, and it humbles you really. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say it's a very difficult and challenging uh, process for a lot of people. I got lucky, you know, I made it, and I was able to like." move things my way there's a lot of people that had to come back so what'd you do in that year though when you're trying to figure stuff out so first thing i did is um, i moved to irvine california because oh, wow. it was the dubai of of america mm -hmm. realized that i have nowhere close to enough money to do business the reason i moved to irvine is i had an uncle there my uncle was in real estate and uh, i went to him and he said look you come work for me i'll teach you the ropes and then you can do your own thing and i was like perfect win-win he wins I put in all my work. Mm -hmm. I don't charge him anything. We're done. Gets a stroke. Wow. My aunt calls me, says, hey, look, your uncle's in bad shape. He's half paralyzed. There's no way you're good. you guys are going to be able to do anything. So forget about that. Now, I totally understand, but this is my life on the line too, right? So then I had an aunt who lived in Katy, Texas, small town outside mm -hmm. of Houston. She's a school teacher, part-time. And she calls me and she's like, I'm saying, you know what? Why don't you come to Katy, Texas? I feel like there's a lot of movement here. Like there's a lot of houses and there's a lot of new stuff being built. And I was like, okay, let me go check it out. Cause obviously I can't afford Irvine. And now if my uncle's not in, I can't do anything. Correct. Yeah. You need okay. a place to stay. You got to learn so, the ropes, all that stuff. Moved into her house. I told her it was going to be two weeks. I was in her house for nine months. And so <laughs> you, oh, you didn't meet her daughter. So her daughter actually works with me in my office right now. She okay. loves it. Yeah. So anyways, moved in with her, told her it's going to be two weeks and I'll be out. I need to just figure out my bearings. Nine months I was in there in her house because I needed to save money. I needed to process immigration yeah. and I needed to figure out what my money maker is going to be, how I'm going to make money. Right. And bought a beater car, put 90,000 miles on the beater car in about two years, just cause I was looking for land, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And ultimately then landed on real estate. Mm -hmm. And so you get into real estate, but there's, but in America, there's so many different things you can do in real estate. I'm guessing your uncle may have been in traditional type of real estate, like residential. Yeah, he wasn't residential. So you, what did you land on? I mean, so first Texas thing I did, huge. landed in Houston. I remember very, you know, went to Katy, 
it, it reminded me somewhat of Dubai mm-hmm. because there was just so much construction. There's so much stuff being built, uh, not vertically, but it's just, you can see the development. Katy, right? Texas is a suburb of what city? Of Houston. Of Houston. And Houston is one of the fastest growing cities in the it world. It was, yeah. yeah. At that time, it was even faster yeah. back then. So ended up landing in Houston, joined this club. It was called the Real Estate Investment Club of Houston, Rich Club, $200 a year membership. <laughs> what I can tell everyone is if the membership's $200 a year, don't expect anything good out of it, okay? <laughs> so $200 a year membership, walk into the club, first day, first meeting, and I realized that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get to where I need to get to yeah. in this club. Wrong club. A wrong club for sure, right? Maybe right for a lot of people, just wrong for me. Yeah. And uh, so realized that wasn't going to be a thing. Quickly, very quickly, started driving around, saw my first FlexSpace development. And remember, I had a shop here, right? Performance shops. I was very familiar with the industrial product. I was a customer. I actually built a waiting room, an office, you know, a place for my friends to hang out in my shop. So you had a warehouse. Your shop had a warehouse in Dubai. Right, exactly. And you were familiar with that product. It made sense to you because you you worked in it. You lived in it. You were there all the time. It totally made sense. And so... What I would do is as I would drive around in Houston, I would stop. I would see people working on something, a development, construction, whatever it is. I would actually stop and take their numbers. I had a book Mm -hmm. and I would take everybody's numbers and see what they did. And I would tell them that, hey, I have a big project. I didn't have a project, but I would tell them, hey, I have a big project coming up. I'd want you to bid it for me. So they'd give me their number and they'd be like, yes, for sure. Um, And I was building what, you know, what I thought at the time would be my vendors list. Mm -hmm. And so Same wh- way I built my list in the beginning too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I would go because in that time, in that time when they started building a bunch, right, in, in in America. So this is like the recovery stage where now they're putting up these cookie cutter neighborhoods. You're talking 14, 15, 16. They're putting up these cookie cutter neighborhoods. Right. And you can go around midday, find a roofer. Exactly. Find tile guys. Exactly. You know, different parts of it. So I did the same thing. Exactly. So I would stop by all of them, take their numbers and figure out what they did. Once I did all of that, I actually met this guy, really cool guy. He actually visited my dad here in Dubai after, after we became friends. And the way I met him is I saw somebody clearing land and it was about two acres of land or an acre of land, I can't remember now. And he was wearing like a headscarf because it was very dusty and mm-hmm. these goggles, right? And so I parked my car, I wave and uh, in you know, fashion, he comes down, uh, says hi, removes the scarf and he's like, hey, man, how can I help you? And I'm like, oh, you're the first person to tell me that. Hey, man, how can I help you? Usually it's like, hey, what do you want? Why are you bothering me? You mm-hmm. know? And so I'm like, hey, could you, you know, if I see you clearing land. Could you give me your number? Maybe I need you. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm the owner. I don't work here. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I just, I'm handy. Like I used to live on a ranch. I know how to do all these things. Yeah. So I plan on actually building half of this myself and then doing the concrete up. He was going to contract that out. Okay. And I was like, that's it. This is my time to strike. So I kept visiting him. I didn't like, you know, I didn't really ask for anything. I kept visiting him, learned more about him, became his friend. Um, and he worked in oil and gas full time. Okay. And what he did is he brokered uh, offshore oil rigs. So he, he came to Dubai, he came to Abu Dhabi, he came to, you know, Saudi, he came, he came to all these cool parts, uh, you know, Ch- uh, Hong Kong. And, uh, and uh, so he was traveling all the time. So was there a connection there when... You basically, when he found out you were from Dubai? Yeah, so we, we got into talking about that. I introduced him to my dad. And the cool thing is, is that because he would travel so much, uh, he would call me and be like, hey, man, I have a delivery coming in. Could you sign for it? Hey, man, I have this coming in. Could you sign for it? And so I got to see all the vendors that he was using. Plus, I got to see all the pricing. Mm-hmm. So now I had an excellent benchmark and the product was a flex space. So 
I became king of Flexspace, but I actually didn't invent the product. Mm -hmm. I just modified it to become more efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I took Alex's product. His name was Alex. He's younger than me, by the way. And so, and Alex would run around all over town. And after I became so resourceful to him, he stopped literally like showing up because I would do everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I would literally take collection, make sure the construction is going good, project management, you know, if something, something is off, I feel like it's not a good job, I'll actually point it out. So I was very much on, as if it was my own project, yeah. you know? And I really needed to learn. And listen, the reason I was so serious about this, maybe even more serious than other people, is because ultimately I wanted my kids to come to the US, right? I think that really pushed me. You had a big why. I had a huge why. And it wasn't even about the money. It was more about, I need to get my family here and process immigration for them, right? And so I think that's what motivated me beyond the point where I, I just wouldn't tire, you know? I'll do whatever it takes. And so once I learned the ropes through him, once I got his pricing, once I understood where everything is, once I watched him lease those out, then I made a move on my own. Mm -hmm. So I rode his bike completely, all the way, right? And I saw how easy it was for him. It was so easy. It was, it was like simple, you know, and he built it, he leased it, it's done. But this, but that, what you're talking about is a good example of essentially what you got was a mentor. Exactly. You, you, got, a, you got a commercial real estate flex space mentor without asking him to be your mentor. But what you did was you went and added value to his situation. And I think that's where most people go wrong when they want to get into something. They'll come to you and I, they'll say, hey, can you be my mentor? Probably not. Yeah. Right. And it's because you, you've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And if you would approach him in that manner, he probably would have said the same thing. Oh, I just don't have the time. Right. But you kept showing up every day That's without it. any expectations, adding value to his situation to the point where you became very valuable in his situation. Right. And through proximity, he gave you all the value you needed. You, you probably learned, I don't know, probably in one to two years, you probably learned very quickly from him everything you that would have took you probably five, 10 years on your own. So I think he taught me enough for 10 years, literally in six months, right? And all I had to do was show up. Literally all I had to do was just show up, nothing mm -hmm. else, right? Hey, can I help you with something? Hey, can I do something? Do you need something? I can run, run an errand. Oh, okay, if this is missing, why don't I call the contract? Because I'm trying to help him help me. Correct. Right? And the only way I can do that is if I'm, if I'm adding true value. Right? I understood that. Look, I was around rich people all mm -hmm. my life here. Right? I understood what's needed in order to get the help that I need. Correct. Right? I was in sales. Like I sold these apartments. I transacted. I helped people buy apartments. And then those same people, I helped them sell apartments for a significant amount of money. Right? And they made money just because they trusted me. Mm -hmm. So I was well, very well... Uh, versed in how to add value to somebody's life. I'd done it multiple times. It wasn't my first rodeo. And I knew exactly what I wanted in exchange as well, right? Now, I think my mistake at that time is I didn't clarify what my intentions were. Yeah. Uh, but I guess at that time, it was just, just do whatever needs to be done and then we'll deal with everything else on the back end. Makes sense. And so now you learn from, what was his name again? Alex Bibb. So you, you learn from you learn from Alex, and now you feel like you have enough confidence to do your own project or do your own something. Yeah. But where you, where you get the money from? Where do you? Even yeah. So I had literally like I want to say four hundred and fifty thousand mm -hmm. um, dollars. I was spending 
I was staying with my aunt, so she was giving me food, she was saying I was spending on gas and, you know, vehicle expenses. I had to process immigration, that was expensive, that was like 20 grand or something. Mm. Um, and then I had about 400 and change, you know, maybe like a little bit over 400 in which I bought my first piece of land. After observing, after being an observer, I felt comfortable enough to where I bought this piece of land. Now here's the funny thing, I bought the piece of land, I'd read the book, Kiyosaki said, all you need to do is apply leverage. And so if you, if you do the math, 400 grand, that means I should get another at least 400 grand. At least. At least, right? Um, and so in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I have a million dollars worth of development here. That's it. I'm, I'm good. And I had spoken to banks and they had told me, yeah, you're fine, man. Just go get the land and then let's talk. And leverage the land. And leverage the land. So I bought the land and then I went to all the banks that told, told me, come on in. And they wouldn't give me leverage. And so I was like, okay. You guys told me you're gonna give me leverage. And then they're like, well, you didn't tell us you weren't an American citizen and you didn't have tax returns. That's a key component Together. that you missed out on. Yeah. Like we had all these conversations and you talked about money and numbers and everything else. That's just like Kiyosaki said in the book, but Kiyosaki was an American citizen. Yeah. So there was a huge chapter that was missing on immigrants coming into the US and securing leverage, right? And that was some, and look, I was 28 years old, man. You know, like I, I was just like every day move, move, fast. move. Yeah, moving. And so huge lesson there, no leverage, it's not coming. I have immigration to process. They need to see a business plan. That business plan needs to be profitable. I need to actually make money, file taxes in order for me to carry on with my immigration and stay in the country. So failure is not an option at that point. Mm -hmm. 30 banks, talk to 30 small banks. All of them have the same criteria or similar criteria, mm -hmm. you know? Look, you're just not a strong sponsor, Hamza. You've never done this before. I'm like, look, I've done this before. Well, outside the America, nothing counts. We want to see experience within the US or we want to see your tax returns. What do you have? And so what ended up happening at that point is I had a banker friend who I became close with over that period of time. And he told me, why don't you find a sponsor? Like someone who will sponsor your debt, like an American citizen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know any sponsors. Is that something that like I can go and hunt? He's like, what about your friends? Don't you have so many friends? I'm like, yeah, but I don't think they're gonna like sponsor debt just because they're my friend. I don't think that's how it works, right? Sponsor four hundred thousand. Yeah, exactly in debt, right? And so he's like, you know, I think I have someone for you. So he introduces me to this older gentleman, and this older gentleman is I'm still friends with. I don't use. He's basically a loan shark, and basically all they do is they sponsor debt for a higher than reasonable return, and you know. At that time, I didn't understand what that meant. It was your only option though. It was my only option, so right? So probably better you didn't understand. <laughs> exactly. Um, and basically the deal was there was gonna be a small fee plus 50% of the profits of my first development, okay? Gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, gotta do what you gotta do. Ended up developing, completing the project, cost me $4 million, okay? Sold it for $6.2 million. $2 million profit, I gave away a million dollars. But you got a million. But I got a million, exactly. Now and your uh, land back, so you got one point four now. Yeah, exactly. So made a million dollars. Uh, first million dollars hits my bank account, uh, and after that, I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can keep doing this. The cool thing here is, I was telling people about FlexSpace back then, and they were like, oh no, 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 we don't want to invest in this, man. It doesn't like we don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Who are your tenants? You know. Why would we invest in flex space? We're gonna go buy houses. We're gonna go do this. We're gonna go buy multifamily, office building, anything but flex. And I probably knocked 200 doors mm -hmm. that, hey guys, I'm telling you, there's opportunity here. You need to trust me. This is where the money's at. And nobody would invest. Nobody would believe me. 
So you got you got the million dollars and now you're like, you want to go do this again. But the last project took you four four million. So you're gonna are you gonna try to go back to the same guy? So actually by then I didn't need to go to the same guy. Okay. So remember how I told you that I would tell people that hey, you need to invest in flex and they would refuse and they yeah, wanted yeah. to. So I found out that multifamily is actually very easy to get investors for. Yeah. So what I did is, um, while I was developing Flex, now you have to there's no income here. There is future income, I see that, but there's no rental income, there's no nothing. So as I brought more and more people to my Flex spaces and there, were, there was so much pushback, I ended up raising money for a multifamily deal that I found. And then I ended up raising money for another multifamily. So I had like four multifamily deals in the meantime. And all I was doing is trying to get them to invest in Flex. Mm -hmm. So this was a byproduct of that, right? Now I made a million here. I made a couple hundred thousand on each one of those deals as well uh, as they exited. But the cool thing is, is that all of this started showing up on my tax returns. So once I was done selling that, my tax returns were strong enough to where I could sponsor some of my own debt. And so I ended up just sponsoring my own debt after that. Makes sense. Yeah. So now you've got the track record of the tax returns. You've got track record with the investors that did well on the multifamily. Now you get to go back to doing what you truly want to do and believe in, which is flex space. Just flex space. Do you get to bring any of these multifamily investors I with did. you? I did. Because so, now, they, now they believe in you. So the, the cool thing is, is that I think I, I, I must have thought of this as a strategy at the time. Because it's like no coincidence that by the time I was ready to do it again, I had investors, I had a track record, I had money, right? And everything sort of was a piece of the puzzle. And as I put everything together, it was like, oh, cool. Okay, now I can go and do my deal and now I'm comfortable. And exactly. so exactly, everything lined up almost perfectly. But you, you, you don't like multifamily. I do not. <laughs> Tell, me why. Tell so, me why. Tell me why. I have stories. I have lots of stories. But just uh, give me like the basic reason because you hear, and here's, here's what people People say all types of things. Grant Cardone says don't buy single family. He says buy multifamily. Some people say don't buy commercial, do this. Everybody has their own thing. I don't think there's a blanket answer for everyone, but yeah. give your particular reasons why you don't like it. I have a lot of stories, but um, I'll give you a few stories. And these are like, you can consider them as case studies. Yeah. Okay. End up buying a multifamily unit. Apartment complex, 66 units. I noticed there's a, the same name on the lease twice. Okay, so there's a gentleman, he has two leases. And very common for landlords to do that when they're selling a deal in multifamily, mm -hmm. you know, in order to generate more ROI or yeah, say yeah. they have more ROI. And then when you get into the deal, you realize that, you know, 10% of it is more is vacant. It's crap. And something you have to deal with at later on, which mm -hmm. you do, right? So I'm like, hey guys, look, man, this guy has two leases. I don't know what's going on. You need to show me both leases. They showed me both leases. He signed both leases. And so I was like, I need to check these units to make sure that he's actually, why is he staying in two units in the same complex? Go into one unit, beautiful unit, just like this one, there's furniture, pictures of his kids, wife, you know, everything's all good, looks legit, fine. Go to the next unit, there's a mattress, a table, a couple of bottles of alcohol, and basically uh, his side chick, I guess. Mm. And he stays in the same apartment complex, right? He's a bold man. So bold, bold man, right? <laughs> and apparently more common than you would think. Uh, anyways, so, you know, ended up having to deal with that. It was very problematic when I had mm -hmm. to deal with it. Later on down the line, I have another situation where, you know, unfortunately two tenants started quarreling and it didn't end up well for one of them. And, you Somebody know- Somebody got unalive. Exactly. And that person's no longer with us. Uh, weapons 
we we find a lot of weapons and ammo in apartments sometimes that are abandoned we have a lot of tenants that go missing we don't know where they are also like okay you may think that well this is maybe this the apartment complex but once you have 1400 doors right and you're managing 1400 units it doesn't matter where it's at man people are going to fight people are going to get divorced people are going to yell people are going to you know they, they're people to, 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 so to sum up your dislike of multifamily is you have to deal with too much of the human aspect of the investment equation. It's just way too the, much. The man. variable of human life or how life yeah. goes is you don't want that yeah, you too don't. much. I my, get where you're going. My neighbors are too loud. My neighbors stay up way too lo- late at night. I can hear my neighbors, you know, doing things. I can do that. It's just, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, it makes you sense. Know? And then also the property management element, very high turnover business. So that position, guess what? There's always turnover. Everybody's poaching everyone. You know, mm-hmm. at all times, your property manager, if you're hiring a property manager, just know she's not, or he or she's not going to be with you for too long because someone else is going to take her or him. So let's talk about this. I discovered you on TikTok. Yeah. I'm scrolling through TikTok one day and I see a guy talking about real estate. I watch it and you're talking about flex space. And what I like about your TikToks that you were doing is you were just first person walking through with the camera showing this and this and this. And I actually had an interest in building commercial space. I'm actually building commercial space right now in America, my last project before I'm completely done with that side. And so like, it just caught my interest that you were doing this and it was, and I, and my experience with building warehouses is I built a barn on my property, 3,600 square feet barn for my horses. And I seen where we poured the foundation, put the, uh, they put the, the, what do you call those? The bolts. The in. bolts, yeah, yeah. We got the, the concrete. Yeah, yeah, we got the red. We got yeah, the red, red steel. Yeah. They erected it in a day and a yeah. half. These guys were all, five guys were, doot, 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 doot. and it was like, wait, this is crazy. That was real quick. The hardest part was making sure that the engineering for the concrete and the bolts lined up right. Right. And other than that, they were they were done. So I I knew this was a product, and the red steel didn't cost me anything. And so, and I got it all the way from China. Yeah, same. And so um, when I seen when I seen you doing that, it just piqued my interest. And you were very transparent with the numbers, with why you thought it was cool, what your tenants were like, and and so on and so forth. And so then I followed you and just started just living life through your your stuff. And uh, we talked. We were supposed to meet up, and I move. I yeah. moved to Dubai. Yeah, you came here, yeah. And then I see you on a post saying, "I'm coming to Dubai to go look at some real estate." And I'm like, "All right, we got to meet up." So now we're here. Um, but particularly, just just talking about flex space in general, you told me why you don't like multifamily. Tell me why you love flex space and why you've become like the king of flex space. Yeah, so easy marketing. I'm dealing with professional businesses, right? These businesses, guess what? People think that, hey, everybody needs a place to stay. Well, how are they going to pay for that place to stay? Yeah, they're not going to pay for it by doing nothing. There's a lot of small businesses in right? America. There's a lot of small businesses in America. And guess what? They all need to pay rent somewhere. Mm-hmm. They all need to build a pool. They all need to take care of their families. Well, how are yeah. they doing that? They're working. Yeah. Right? These are good people. Yeah, yeah. They're all working. They're all working. Mom and pop, small business, small to medium businesses, they're all in flex spaces. They're tinting cars. They're doing vehicle wraps. You know, they have gymnastic uh, studios. They have a boxing club. Well, yeah. these guys all have to pay rent somewhere. Yeah. Right? That makes sense. They all need income. I think what's particular that I like about your product is the outside of your product is amazing because, and and I'll let you describe it kind of, but what I see is that it looks like an office building. The outside looks pretty cool. A lot of glass, 
a lot of different angles, some colors and stuff like that. And then you have the open warehouse space in the back. With that product, that allows you, with the flex, the flexible part of that product, it allows you to track all types of people. Kind of describe what, what separates your product of Flexspace, you know, amongst a traditional warehouse or anybody else's Flexspace. So when I first went to America, Flexspace is not new by any means, okay? So mm -hmm. we had, it trended very highly in the 60s and 70s and then mm -hmm. died out for other things. Now, when I went to the U.S., and I saw what everybody else was doing. It was just a warehouse. They have a bay door and it's just a warehouse. Like very it. basic stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, I was a customer. I built an office in mine. I built a game room in mine. I built a place to hang out for my friends. And then I had, you know, a kitchen. And so I was a customer. And initially I actually thought for a moment that I was going to build one of these and, put my, and start a shop in there for myself mm -hmm. and then export parts to back here or, you know, do. So initially I really entered with my customer mindset when I build this. How would I want my customer to look at me? How would I want to greet them? Mm -hmm. What do, what kind of image do I want to present when my customer walks in with their vehicle, right? And so I sat down, I worked really hard to modify that space once again to make it look perfect because I knew I was building it this time. Right, and the thing was is that worse come to worse, if I can't rent this out, I'm gonna be the customer. What do I want? And so, came up with a design, and that's exactly what I wanted. And the thing I think the key element that was missing from what we had here is the glass component, the office component facing the street, right mm -hmm. outside. Gives right? you like your own showroom or office, whatever you want up front, exactly. and have your products right in the back. Exactly. Because even when I recently just, uh, I just leased around 85, 8,600 square feet, I wanted something that was like a flex space. It was very limited. So I had to end up just getting a full blown warehouse and it has like a little corner of, of an office in it that was built out. Exactly. Now with, with your flex space, where is it, where have you found that it's the best to actually build this? Because I have an image in my head, what I think would work, but kind of explain where you find it's best to build flex space. High growth corridors, um, up and coming residential neighborhoods are very good. Certain states are better than others mm -hmm. just because demand is higher in certain states. And I prefer investing in you know certain states in America. Now, ideally, people think that flex spaces need to be in part of an industrial park. And that's just not the case. Correct. Flex spaces could be maybe a small part of a bigger industrial park, but that is not where the absorption comes from. Think about this, right? You want to go to your CrossFit gym. How far would you drive? Not more than 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, would, yeah you know, that's too much out of That's way. too much, yeah, exactly. You wanna go uh, get your truck lifted um, at a shop somewhere. You're not gonna venture out too far, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe 30 minutes. You wanna go get your vehicle wrapped, get your vehicle tinted, depending on how good the, the, the operator of that business, you're not gonna drive more than an hour. Right? You wanna make sure that you're in a spot where there's a lot of neighborhoods because you ultimately become the neighborhood sort of service center. Mm -hmm. You know, you have all these different businesses that cater to the neighborhood. So criteria for me is very simple. I look for up and coming neighborhoods and try to jump in because these, these people are eventually gonna need services. And so I come in very early on, as soon as we hear that parcel tracks have been sold, large residential neighborhoods, we come in and then we buy some smaller tracks specific for flex space use. So that makes certain sense. So kind of like the model, how in the States we have these two pharmacy companies, Walgreens and CVS, 
one, if Walgreens is here, CVS is here because they know that the, the, the feasibility study's been done by either or. Right. And so your feasibility study is done by large tracts of residential land being built along the growth corridor. And you probably go another 15 or 20 minutes away from it because you know it's going to catch up and the value adds on to the back years, just goes up and up. And, and that's goes. where we can find the larger tracts because we can't be bogged down by smaller tracts. Look, we have a criteria. We have to ultimately, you know, develop enough flex space that the, it becomes the center of, you know, at, uh, of the neighborhood. Yeah. And so as a result, we need a minimum now of like seven acres. Okay. Right? You're not going to find seven acres in urban setting. No. Uh, you're going to have to venture out a little bit. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we want to be. So what can you fit on seven acres? So seven acres should be able to give you about, uh, I would say 80 to 90,000 square feet of development, depending on the shape of the land, obviously. Yeah. Now, if the land is like weird and it has a lot of things, it'll be less. Uh, but generally, rule of thumb is between 25 to 35% of total acreage is what you can build or what you should be able to build. That's a good build. Okay. Anything less than that, I would avoid buying. And how fast, because you're going in, you're laying infrastructure and everything. Right. This is possible. How fast are you? From the time you uh, uh, buy a lot, how fast can you get something up and running? 12 to 18 months. That's a, that's a simple product in my yeah. head. That's a simple and product. Sometimes approvals take two months from the county, depending on where we are. And then we spend the rest of the time construction. So that's a good question. So when you br bring up the county, is it is it just labeled warehouse or is it a special type of... It could be either in light industrial, heavy industrial, community commercial, community neighborhood commercial, mm -hmm. mixed use. Uh, so there's many like variations where you can kind of squeeze flex in because it yeah. fits in all of those sort of criteria, which is so cool because it's such a unique product, yeah. right? Home, single family, single uh, unit per lot, you're restricted to that. There's not really much you can do with that. You know what I mean? But with flex specifically, you, it can be so many different things that you can, you know, it you can go into four or five different zonings and still build flex. So, do you typically, when you when you're building flex space, what what's the smallest flex space you offered before, including like total for, for a person? So, I would say per bay, smallest building size we would build is probably ten thousand square feet. Smallest bay, so each individual bay is about fifteen hundred square feet. Got it. And so that's kind of like your traditional strip mall size, thousand to. 1,200, 1,500 square feet, but now you've got small office or whatever you want to put up front and then the warehouse in the back. Right. So this gives you, this gives you, I see my, my, my real estate brain's turning now. So you can have a customer who needs the warehouse small, like let's just say a, a window tinting shop. Then you can have an e-commerce person that just needs a small office and storage for the back. And then so you have different so what happens is you start to create your own ecosystem of people who actually rely on the other businesses that may be actually inside the park alone. And so that happens a lot, way more than you would think. Okay. Some people come to us and they're like, hey, you have this guy here, this guy here. We're going to be right here. We all three do business together. And we actually make an active effort of introducing them to all the other businesses. So we're not like other landlords. We have people on the ground who will in make introductions if needed so that if there is a synergy between the businesses themselves, yeah. guess what? If there's a synergy, they're making more money. That means they're going to, number one, pay their rent. They may even expand at some point, Makes which means sense. they're either going to come to our next development or if somebody leaves, they're yeah. going to be first in line and want to rent from us. So our tenant success is actually our success. So what are, what are you, what is this costing you to build? Is it? I would say in today's, so when I first started, this was about 50 bucks to build a square foot. Mm -hmm. We would sell it for about 100. 
Right now, we're at about 100 to 100, because now we're building all over the country. Yeah. So it's a little different. I would say on average in the states that we really like, um, it's between 100 to 120. And sale prices are now creeping up to about 200 bucks a foot. And you're getting leases based upon the area. Yes. So yeah. leases, I would say, if you want to average out all the leases in the U.S., $16 triple net is kind of where we're at. In the states that we like, obviously, there's lower. And so then this there's is a much triple higher. net product. So this is the cool thing. Because I brought so much hype to it as an asset class, since I started advertising it so heavily, it became a triple net product. It was a gross lease product prior to that. So let's talk about what a triple net is and why investors like triple net so much. Right. So triple net is basically where the landlord has no responsibilities, no maintenance. The tenants pay for everything, including taxes, insurance, what operating expenses. And the landlord just collects rent free and clear. Wow. So you're only responsible for like the major stuff that may happen with the infrastructure. That's it. Other than that, they're paying taxes, insurance and rent. Right. Which and so makes it, a it was very difficult to explain to them when we first started what a triple net lease was. Mm -hmm. But as we hyped it up as a company... There's just the demand just went crazy, and then we started converting all our leases to triple net, and our tenants had to keep up. So the the alternative is, like you said, is a gross product where you're paying the sixteen dollars a foot, and the landlord's still going to take the the taxes out of that, the insurances out of that, so he may get left with blank. Right, they probably get left with like ten bucks a foot. And so this makes your books a lot cleaner on the other side when it comes time to sell. A, makes sense. Yeah, way cleaner. What kind of ROI are you getting on these projects? So I just exited a deal or exiting a deal. I haven't done it yet. It's about a 6x return in one year. Yeah, it's crazy. So this is, it doesn't happen. It's not common. Yeah. yeah. Very uncommon. Okay. I have another deal, um, 4x return over two years. Uh, I would say generally though, generally just, yeah, like, yeah. you know, standard deal. You should expect to make about at least a 2x return on your development, at least. So, you know, we in what time, in what time period? Typically? 12 to 18 months. So you're really, you're really building leasing, selling. Yeah, that's it. We build, lease, sell. That's the model. We have plenty of buyers. Uh, I was going to say, who, who's your buyer? So private equity, we have a ton of private equity. They're just buying cash flow. Yeah. And, and they love a, a triple net and product. And we have tons of 1031 exchange buyers who come in. In fact, we pick and choose now. We don't, we don't sell to anyone. Like if, if there's a buyer that comes in and, and someone calls us and says, hey, Hamza, we have this buyer. Like, who's this buyer? I've never heard of them, you know? He's like, who do you care? Like, just sell it. I'm like, no, I don't want to sell it because I have guaranteed buyers on one end. Yeah. I don't know if this person's going to close. I don't know if this person's going to pay. Um, and so we just stick around with our little, you know, buyers group and we and we sell to them. So it's cool. So I think, I, I, I obviously think that in, there's many types of real estate investments and those type of things you can get into, but you've carved out flex space and you've you've done pretty well with it in, in fairly a short amount of time, I would say. Um, and you've built a brand around it. And then now you're in Dubai looking to, to try to do the same thing in this market. Now, Dubai is growing like crazy. Um, the ruler here and his team, his staff, everybody that's they want to, I think, double the economy in 10 years. Yeah. I think they want to go. They want to go ten million. I think yeah. as a population in Dubai alone, very soon. And so, what a lot of people don't know is you have like city center Dubai, and this is where you see the iconic Bush Khalifa. A lot of your tourist activities, great housing, and then as you start to go out is when you start to see more commercial stuff. But then they have these growth corridors. 
So there's a large growth corridor between here and Sharjah. Right. Right. And here, so I'm in DIP too, where my warehouse is. But along that way, just seems to get quicker and quicker to drive every day. And then 100%. I see real estate popping up on the side of the highway all the time. 100%. There's Jabal Ali Hills that's coming up over there. Yeah. There's Dubai South now that's coming up. There's just so much stuff coming up in that area. It's, you're not going to recognize it in 10 years. So let's, let's talk about the big difference that you've seen between America and the UAE. What's some of the big, and this is personal and in real estate. I would say personally, look, the U.S. is a great place for, mm. depending on, you know, what you're looking for. Uh, for me, it was primarily, you know, funding, leverage, banking, that kind of thing, because I needed to really scale my business, right? Also, from a fund perspective, I think the U.S. has more guidelines, more regulations, because it's just an older country, yeah, right? And so they have more guidelines toward this to where we can operate within those guidelines and we know exactly what they are. In, in Dubai, the cool thing is they're growing so fast, so they have guidelines every single day. Yeah. I think, personally, what I did is the best thing. Learn the foundation there, implement there, so that you are very well versed when it comes to uh, compliance, mm -hmm. development, law, and all of that, and then come here, do the same thing. You're untouchable at that point. Because there's a lot of money in Dubai. Oh, there's a lot From of money. all over the world. Plenty of money. So even some of your... Even some of your private equity firms that are buying in your product in America are probably backed by some money on this side of the world. 100%. So they're going to completely understand your product. And if you bring that same product to this side, you're going to be able to do it, do it easy over here. Um, you know, I'm excited to see your version of Flexspace in Dubai. And the reason is, is because there's a sweet spot of square footage that I think is going to sell more than your larger spaces like listen i got eight thousand square feet because I'm, I'm moving into the growth side of it but that 1500 to 1800 square feet space with a lot of people moving here doing e-com and small business and just people everybody moving into that entrepreneur side of the world i think that's going to be your fastest leasable space um currently there's a lot of huge inventory like huge spaces like you're renting if you it's hard to find something that's three thousand square feet like you're not going to find that, but if you start going five, six, seven, eight, you're going to find more and more of that, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, we we I would say have a lot of proprietary information just mm -hmm. because of the position that we're in. Fastest renting spaces uh, and best price per square foot that you will get as a landlord, so as an investor, mm -hmm. is between sixteen hundred to two thousand square feet. There you go. So that's I, number one. And I'm just making that up for right. me, just being observed. I haven't. I've. I don't know anything right. about commercial enough to give you anything like that. So the smaller spaces yeah. are your bread. You can butter. rent them in hours, literally <laughs> in hours. Like you know, once you put up that sign, once you start running your marketing, you can lease those things in hours. So personal, what's the big difference? Because you grew up here, you moved to do, uh, you know, you moved to the United States, spent ten years as an adult, wife, kids, the whole nine. You experience business. You experience a lot of the a lot of the great things that America has to offer. What are the big differences, you know, personally, culturally between you know, yeah. UAE and America. So obviously I'm part of this culture. Mm -hmm. I still am part of this culture, even yeah. though I moved there for 10 years and whatnot. Um, I'm very familiar with the culture. It's, it's home to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So obviously, uh, you know, lots of different things, lots of friends, lots of family, you know, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a culture that is very well preserved in mm -hmm. my opinion. And it will continue to be this. So obviously there'll be changes and it'll move forward, uh, but it is still very much intact, right? 
a few things about America is now I just want to you know say a few things is that I was like for example never discriminated against in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I always felt welcomed, especially in Texas. Yeah. Um, and I always felt like I was part of something, and everybody was like always cheering me on. Right now, of course, there were struggles in raising money because I didn't have a track record, and people wouldn't trust me. Yeah. In the beginning, and all of those things, right? Which is very typical of any entrepreneur, not just myself. And once I proved myself, all these people started coming on board. Now, Texas in itself, or Houston rather in itself, the culture is also very well. It's very diverse. It's very diverse and it's preserved. So between all the different communities, whether they're Middle Eastern or, you know, uh, the Indo-Paki community or the African-American community, all the communities have their own culture. And because I came in from an outside world, I learned to respect and observe all of those cultures. Right, a lot of people, I think, in America today get caught in everything that is going on, that they lose track of who they are and start looking at, you know, things that are maybe not who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? For us, we were able to raise our kids the way we wanted to. Uh, you know, obviously, there's other elements that we that are out of our control. Yeah. Uh, but in general, I would say I had an extremely positive experience there. Um, I just decided that, you know, this is kind of what I want moving forward. Yeah. And so that is the reason that I made the move. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense for you culturally to, um, you know, you go where best serves you. And that's, that's why I tell people all the time, look, I'm a global citizen. I go wherever best serves me and my family. Cause at the end of the day, that's what I need to look out for. That's my responsibility given to me as a man and given to me by God. I got to take care of my family. And so moving here for us was one of those things. Obviously, we had a great setup, great life at home in in America. Um, but I wanted to think about the future. And, I, and any mentor I've had always rolled out and tried to have, you know, a hundred year plan. And I got to look at the totality of everything and see where I want to be. And moving to this side, I wanted to be part of the growth aspect of the next thing. Right. And so I think, I think a lot of, I think anybody, first of all, I encourage anybody who has never been to the Middle East, particularly, you know, Dubai, Saudi, those places, go visit, you know, spend a week or two in this place and get your own perspective of what life is over here. It's not what you see on TV, right? Let's not, yes, there is all of that. There is, right. There is, there, I mean, listen, there's no income tax here. So there's a lot of disposable income that goes around. So you have all the fancy stuff, but you also have a lot of traditional stuff as well too. And you have plenty of normal people. You got a lot of normal people. And I think it's just, I think it would behoove you to come to this side and just experience other people's culture with your own lens on so that you can understand both sides of the spectrum because there's good and bad with everything. Good and bad with America, good and bad with everything in the world. And I think you just need to go wherever lends you the most. Or gives you the most. Yeah, so just like you said, look, ultimately, I have to take care of my family. I took care of my family then. I I did what I had to do Mm -hmm. to get what I wanted. And now I'm going to do it again, you know? Um, For me, Dubai, because it's really my home, you know? Yeah. It just makes sense for me to come back. Um, I'm, you know, I'm well connected. Mm -hmm. As in, I have a lot of friends here. I have a lot of family here. Um, Life just becomes so much easier with that, you know? With all of that added support for me. Uh, just makes sense to come back and you know continue living on and and see where it goes. Yeah, it makes sense. And so, will you will you continue to do projects in America as you see fit? So, I'm my my primary business will always be in the U.S. Just because the system there is just so much. You figured uh, it out, and it's advanced. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, uh, from a fund perspective yeah. and all of that. 
uh, my Dubai office will be catering to my American office. So we are going to have a Middle Eastern operations that allows individuals to now invest in Flex with me in the U.S., we obviously also have Flexbase developments that we're building here as developers. Mm -hmm. So if people feel like they want to diversify, maybe they can invest both places. Mm -hmm. If they want to invest here, they can. If they want to invest there, they can. Um, and so as a result, I think it works out really good. Got it. Uh, so you're gonna give you're gonna give people here in this region the opportunity to invest in your American product and vice versa. Correct. Right? Because I also you know, one thing that I learned over the last few years is not only like diversity in your type of investments, but diversity as into where your money is. 100%. Like you can't have all your eggs in. It's like it's like having all your money in one bank. Yep. That's that's what it's like having only money in America or only money in the Middle East. You need to diversify where your money is just in case. Yeah, I have all my money in one bank, so I don't know how that's going to end up working out <laughs> for me. <laughs> so maybe we have, need to have a separate conversation you about that. You need to change that. You need to change that. But you you've been doing this and your your social has blown up. What what, what made you start doing social by the way? Cuz I'll be honest, for when I saw you doing social, it was just you were you're excited to share. Right. And it's kind of like how I started. I was just excited cuz I was teaching people how to wholesale. Like I I was like, "Yo, look, I just bought this for this and I just sold it 48 hours yeah, for this." That's it. I just printed money. And so I seen you you were very genuine when you were creating your now you now you're doing it on purpose. Right. What, what made you jump in? And so I had an exit in 2020, mm -hmm. right before COVID. Uh, I exited the deal to a Turkish private equity firm for like over $200 million, mm -hmm. right? And it was a beautiful experience, but now I had no work. Like I literally had nothing to do, right? And, and then COVID hit. COVID hit, I have no work. I have a non-compete. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so this app comes out and everybody starts jumping on it. And so I jumped on it too. And it was called TikTok. Mm -hmm. Jumped on TikTok, didn't know what to do, started doing comedy skits. And so I did a ton of comedy skits. I started doing a bunch of dances and stuff like that. I didn't that. even see, I've never seen that content. Yeah, it was way so, I'll show it to you today, <laughs> later after the show. I don't show. know if I want to see you yeah, dance, yeah. Hamza. It was, it, was pretty, it was pretty intense, I'll tell you that. So anyways, started dancing, because look, I had no investors to report to anymore. Mm -hmm. I had exited my company. Relax. I don't really care what people think at this point, because I've, you know, uh, I've made them money. I made my investors a ton of money at this point. And so everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. So started dancing, started doing silly things on TikTok. And then I gained the following. Like people were actually following me and like commenting and stuff like that. And I was, and I was never in social media. So I'm actually an entrepreneur who does social media other than vice, you know, versa. vice versa, which yeah. is how a lot of people got their start. They mm -hmm. start on social media and then they become entrepreneurs, yeah. right? And so, I, you know, I, I worked in silence. Anyways, got on TikTok, danced my way, and it was pretty funny. My family laughed. I would send videos here to Dubai and my family would be like, what the hell is this guy doing, right? Mm -hmm. And then realized, wait a minute, I can monetize on this. And that is when I turned around and I was like, okay, let me talk about real estate. As I talked, started talking about real estate, more and more people got questions, engaged crazy, and more yeah. questions, more things happening. And then I was like, hold on, wait a minute. I can niche down to really what I want to talk about now. Because it wasn't, to me, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the followers. It's yeah. really my, my, tick, my social media in general is a bank. And it's a bank for me to go back and look into one day maybe and just look into, right? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I want to talk about warehouse. I want to talk about flex space. This is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to talk about. I don't care if I have 20,000. At that time, I think I had 20,000 followers. And so I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to talk about flex spaces. Started talking about my deals. Started talking about my exit. Started talking about how much money there really is to make. Started talking about how simple they are to build. And as a result, 
more and more people were interested. More and more people were listening. More and more people were aware. A lot of questions. I see a lot of questions. A lot of people in America know what flex space is because of me. A lot of people DM me with completed flex spaces and they're like, look, bro, you showed me how to make, they're not part of my mastermind. Mm. They haven't bought a thing from me. They've got, I had not made a dime on their freedoms. Just watching your freestyle. Just they're like, look, man, I just want to show you uh, that we built this flex space because of you. Right, people call me all the time. Hey, man, we're starting our own development. Thank you so much for you know sharing your information. And that's it. That's what it's all about. So now you got a bunch of questions, and you're about to do your a, like a flex space. Like people, people want to learn more about flex space. People want to invest with you potentially. You're doing an event in Houston, in Austin, in Austin. Sorry, yes. in Austin, On, at Circuit of the Americas. Oh yeah, it's, it's a dream venue for me. In in November. In November, November 16th and 17th, we have FlexSpace Connect. It's going to be my second event, second conference, annual conference. And the idea of the conference is, I don't care if you do business with me or not. Mm -hmm. I want you to learn what this opportunity is. Because this opportunity is not going to be here forever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's going to be here for some time. It's going to go away. Are people going to ride the wave? Are people going to take advantage of it? Are people going to really make money? We have... 140 people right now that I am overseeing that are building flex space all over the country. Demand is at all time high. Supply is at all time low. For those of you who are listening, I, I urge you guys to drive in your neighborhoods and find me one flex space that is empty. It's Go true. do it. Go it's do true. it. Yeah. I tell this to people all the time. Go do it. Find me one place that's empty. If you do, for whatever reason, there's something wrong with it. And that's why it's empty. Yeah. And so that just speaks volumes in itself. That makes sense. It's a lot there. So listen, if people want to follow you, I know TikTok is your thing. What's your, what's your TikTok? What's so your my handle? TikTok is Hamza Invests. Hamza Invests. My company is actually called Hamza Invests because I started that as a joke and then it picked up. <laughs> um, and uh, my email is Hamza at HamzaInvest.com. And that gets directly to you. You get to see all the questions. That's it. So man, listen, this has been pretty cool. You're my first guest here in Dubai. I think it makes sense. You're from Dubai. And I got to learn from this as well as, uh, you know, allow people in, in that watch me kind of learn about another opportunity to be able to do this and use leverage. And so now I got people who followed me who made a bunch of money in wholesaling, trying to figure out what to do next. And now this could be an opportunity to jump into flex space with you or do it on their own. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your, your trip to Dubai to be able to speak with us here on the pod. Um, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Any last words? Anything you want to say to anybody? I think in closing, I would like to say that a lot of people get caught up in pace and the pace of things. Mm -hmm. And I think consistency is more important, right? I agree. Pace will go, you'll go at a high pace at some point in life and then the pace will slow down. But as long as you're consistent, things happen. I agree 100%. I appreciate your time today, brother. All right, man. I'll see you maybe on in America. Not sure, but I'll definitely see you in Dubai for well, sure. I'll be coming back, so yeah, you know, yeah. we're going to meet up for sure. I'll see you around. All right, All right you. guys. There you have it. That's this episode of the Max Maxwell Show. I'm Max Maxwell. I'm your host. If you're first time here and you're not subscribed, do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button. Smash the like and share this with a friend. Also, don't forget to go follow Hamza at Hamza Invest on TikTok. Watch some of the free stuff. It's pretty cool. And if you're going to be in the Texas area sometime in November, check out his event because I can tell you it's going to be legit. So I appreciate you guys watching and I'll see you on the other side. Peace.